We have come as far as verse 37 in chapter 8. Jesus going back and forth with the Jews. Um, He said, you know, that if you come to me, you hear my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. They answered, they said, hey, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to any man. And Jesus said, really? Well, whoever serves sin, commits sin, is the servant, the slave of sin. And the servant abide not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And in verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. You get a feeling the gloves are off at this point in time. You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convicteth me of sin or convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. So this contest has gotten heated to the point where he's telling them, hey, if you go to Ancestry.com, you're going to find out you're in trouble. You know, your father, my father. And in the end, they're finally going to take, he's going to say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And he said, you're going to be 50 years old. And you're telling us you, you knew Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Then they take up stones to kill him. So they're going back and forth about Abraham at this time. And it's, it, it comes down to family origins. And he says some things to us that are hard to understand. And he says some things to us that are convicting that we should be able to take to heart. So he admits here when they, they said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anybody. He said, I know you're Abraham's seed biologically by descent. You're, you're Abraham's seed. You're Hebrews. Abraham was called by the people in Canaan, a Haburai. This word, the word Hebrew came from it was somebody that was pneumatic, nomadic. Uh, not pneumatic. Well, we want to be pneumatic too. That's the Holy Spirit, but he was nomadic. 
uh, Haburai, so you're Hebrews. I understand you're Abraham's seed biologically, but he's going to say, but you're not Abraham's children spiritually. So he says, I'll give you that. You're Abraham's seed. He says, but you seek to kill me. Reason, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen in eternity. He has seen with my father. You do, not speak, you do that which you have seen with your father. And probably when he says it here, your father, my father, they're still thinking Abraham, you know. And he'll do that one more time, then he makes it abundantly clear who their father is. But he's saying here, okay, you're Jews, you're Jewish. You're Abraham's seed in that sense, biologically. But you're not spiritually because you seek to kill me. And you do that because my word has no place in you. It's a very interesting phrase. Literally, it's my word finds no entrance into you. And and it isn't just he's saying you're refusing to receive the word. Certainly they were. But here it's the word that's active. And he says the word of God is finding no entrance into you. If any human is just open a little bit, the word of God finds entrance into us. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, I the word of God. He says here, you're, you're Abraham's seed, you're Jewish, and you're, you want to kill your own Messiah. That's because my word has, it finds no entrance into you. He says, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And he's saying, so with father, there should be some family resemblance. There should be some, you know, a recognition of origin. There should be something in paternity and passing down from one generation. That origins should mean something. It's interesting. Uh, two of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon and uh, G. Campbell Morgan, are both fourth generation preachers. Both of them, their great grandfather, their grandfather, their father were preachers. And both of them were fourth generation. And it's obvious, you see the influence in a family. You can see a godly influence. You can see great things happen. There's a whole study, if you ever, you can find it, of Jonathan Edwards' family and how many presidents of universities and the vice president of the United States and bankers and preachers. You, you follow it down. It's really incredible. It's such an impact. So Abraham had a particular impact. And he says to them here, but you're doing, I'm doing what I've seen my father do. You're, you're saying what I've seen my father do. You're doing what you've seen your father do. And they answered, they said unto him, well, what? Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto him, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's now children, not seed, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Understand, Abraham Joshua 24, Acts chapter 7, was an idolater in Ur of the Chaldees. Joshua says in chapter 24, he says, look, you know, you guys, if you want to worship idols like our fathers did on the other side of the Euphrates, go on. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Tells us in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is speaking 
that the God of glory appeared to Abraham when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. He wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile. And the amazing thing about Abraham is that the word of God found entrance into his life. And it transformed him. And it changed him. And it changed his God. It changed his family that he was willing to receive. It changed his homeland that he was willing to depart from. It changed his destiny that he looked forward to. The word of God. So he said, if you were Abraham's children spiritually, you would have a much different attitude. Romans 4, Romans 9 tell us that Abraham's children are those of faith, those that believe, not those that are of the circumcision. So Jesus is pointing to that here. He, sa he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Abraham didn't do that. That's not what Abraham did. Abraham heard God speak to him in the earth of the Chaldees. Abraham comes into the land of Canaan. Yeah, he didn't do everything perfectly. But whenever he had divine intervention, he responded to. Whenever the, God spoke to him, he yielded. When God came with the angels in Genesis 18, he ran and he killed a fatted calf and he made provision. He sat, he spent time. He was always open to any divine visitation, however that came to him at that point in time. Didn't have a copy of the scripture, obviously. God came, visited him. The Holy Spirit prompted him. He, sa he says, Abraham didn't do this. You're seeking to kill me. He's gonna when I was with Abraham, he brought me in. You know, I found entrance. <clears throat> you do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now the Jews sometimes brought that out. There's only like three places in the Old Testament that say, Jeremiah 31, 9 says, God says, I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. But the only fatherhood spoken of in the Old Testament three or four times is national fatherhood. It's not individual fatherhood. And Jesus is speaking of his individual father here and their father because of their religious position. And they come at him and say, we have one father, that's God. We're not born of fornication. So the question arises, and some scholars feel, well, you know, they're going to call him a Samaritan after this. They're going to say, you know, you know, you're, you're, you might as well be a Gentile. You have no religious, you know, pedigree. But probably more specific, the Talmud calls him the illegitimate son of Mary. The church fathers tell us that Mary, amongst those that were blasphemous, supposedly was someone who took care of people's hair, who had sex with a Roman soldier, and that's what Jesus was born from, and that he was born of fornication, and they're probably digging here. This is not just probably some spiritual inference. They're probably making reference to the fact that we know the rumors that Mary was pregnant before she was married. They say to him, we're not born of fornication. That's, it's getting down and dirty here. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, oh yeah? Well, if God was your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. 
neither came I of myself, but he sent me. He said, I'm God's son. You would love me. That's the proof of paternity. It's a family relationship. And if you love me, that would be giving evidence that you have the same father that I do. But as we're getting down to this, there are different family origins. And if you go to Ancestry dot whatever it was in that day, uh, you'll see the two different trails there. You're going to see there's a problem. He said, he said if, if God were your father, you would love me. Reason, he gives us three words here, proceed, came, and sent. Because I proceeded, that was when he left glory, he proceeded. On the human side, it was he came. We're told at Christmas, unto us a child is born. That's he came. Unto us a son is given. That's the eternal side. That's from eternity. He says, I proceeded from God. In that procession, I came to you. And it wasn't something I did myself. I was sent. It was something on the other end that brought me here. And you imagine here that, you know, we read over it, but this is the eternal son. And he says, your your father is God. That's where I came from. And I stepped into this time, space, matter, continuum by means of the womb of a virgin. And I walk among you. And I try to think, what is he seeing as he says this? What is he feeling? Does he see the enemy hovering around, you know? He's going to say to these men, your father is the devil. And I believe that he says it with a lump in his throat. I believe he loves them. I can't imagine this eternal one that proceeded and came and was sent, what he's seeing as he's speaking. And these are his words, and he made sure that we had them, that they were handed down to us. He said, I proceeded, I came, I was sent. And if you were of God, you would love me because of family origin. Why do you not understand my speech? He says, it's simple because we're talking different languages. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. He said that's up, up in verse 37. It's because he said, my word finds no entrance into you. And he says it again here. You can't hear my word. My word's not having an effect on you. Look, believers, you and I, Um, We should always make sure that God's word can find entrance. Uh, There are times we do stupid things. In 1974, I did something stupid. Uh, There are times we backslide. There are times we can get mad. There are times we can be tempted. There are times we can compromise. But as God's children, we get convicted about that. Or we're chastened. He's a long way around the barn. But God has us. And finally, our hearts are saying, oh, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I was off track here, Lord. I should have been doing this. And we have to make sure that his word finds entrance into our lives because there are men and women out there that it doesn't. It does not. 
He says the reason you can't hear it, it finds no entrance. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires, the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. He is a liar and he is the father of it. So he tells us here, you are of your father, the devil. I have a feeling he never really forgave him for that. I think they had a hard time getting over it. And I don't think, by the way, Jesus is not saying here that every unsaved person in the world is a child of the devil. Okay? Because you and I were children of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, and that Satan, he directs kind of the weather course of this world. He sets the pace and the direction. And we were deceived by that, but we were children of wrath, not children of the devil. And by God's grace, we've come to faith. His word found entrance. And again, we've been born, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. There are, it seems, those out there, and I don't know if we can ever understand it perfectly, that are sown of the enemy. You know, Paul, when he gets in chapter 13 of Acts, he runs into Elymas, the sorcerer there, who's trying to turn away uh, in, in Cyprus, the, the, the head guy there, the honcho. And he says, thou child of the devil, he calls him. And he's smitten then with blindness. First John tells us this. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, when he tells us the parable of the tares and the wheat, again, he looks to the sower and he said, there's a sower that went forth to sow the word of God, the wheat, and he said, but then the evil one comes and sows tares among the wheat. And I've always wondered, what are tares? Every unbeliever on the planet can't be a tare. What are the tares? And the interesting thing, it says Satan sows them among the wheat. I know as I look around in, in my world at some people that stand in pulpits across this country and claim to have religious liberty, some of those got to be tares. They're sown among the wheat, but they're heretics, they're blasphemous, they're compromising the word of God. We heard in the last days from Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, there are going to be those who hold the form of religion, but deny the power thereof. And then there's a a present imperative. From such you must continually keep yourselves away. That's hard to understand. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But there are those among us in this world that the devil has sown. And then there's the vast sea of unsaved humanity. The world that God so loved that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed would not perish but have everlasting life. 
You and I are to be very different from that. There's so much of this cry to be relative, to enter into all kinds of things and social justice. Look, Jesus Christ was not a Republican. He was not a Democrat. Jesus Christ was not a Libertarian in the sense that we know it today. Jesus Christ was not concerned about carbon emissions. Of course, he didn't drive a four-wheeler, but he walked. But, he, you know, you know he, he, understand, we have a higher calling. There's something that separates us from all this. And when we get too involved in it, we give the wrong impression. We're to be completely distinct and keep completely separate. The thing that people should see when they walk in here is we don't recognize race. We don't recognize political things. We don't rec- we're not divided over anything. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. And here it's telling us there's something very distinct. Go to Ancestry.com. Our bloodline, our origin is vastly different than theirs, whoever these are that the enemy sows. Theirs is dark and demonic and satanic. Ours is heavenly. And both of those sides influence lost humanity. And Satan hates human beings. You know, Jesus says here he's a murderer from the beginning. The Greek word is manslayer. From the beginning, deliberate murderer. Uh, a, a manslayer deliberately murders, a liar deliberately deceives. And that's what he's been from the beginning. He told the first lie. Genesis chapter 3 God had said to Adam, The tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat thereof. The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The word of God. Satan comes to Eve in his fallen state and says, Thou shalt not surely die. When you eat of this, you're going to be like God. He knows that. He's holding out on you. And she eats. And she dies. And the manslayer has his first victim. And he's had it ever since. And Jesus lays all of the deaths, all of the war, all of the prejudice, all of the hatred, all of the graves on planet Earth right on Satan's doorstep. All of it. There is one parentage, patronage that produces life and there's one that produces death. And look, you guys. You know, we can do this thing sometimes. We want to be cool. You know, this music's cool or this actor's cool or this is cool because it's a little edgy. It's not really, you know, quote unquote spiritual. It's kind of, you know, heavy kind of. Look, that's deception. That's deception. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, where's that, you know, I want to be a little cool, a little heavy up here. I ain't ain't happening. Because there's only two origins, and the one of them is a manslayer and a liar. And he hates humankind. And the reason he does that, because it tells us in Isaiah 14, 
Lucifer, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer, thou son of the morning, that Lucifer, a cherubim of that order of angelic being, looked at God, and I believe he looked at Adam, and when he did that, he said, I shall be like the Most High. The only one who was like the Most High was Adam, creating his image and likeness. I'll be like the Most High. I'm going to walk on this, the mountain of God on the sides of the north. I'm going to move amongst the congregation of the Lord. I'm going to be lifted up. You know, he, he did that. And then 200 years later in Ezekiel 28, God, he says, Satan says five I wills. God gives his five I wills. And he says, you were in Eden. You were the cherub that led worship. You were in your beauty, in your unfallen state, in Eden. So there's no gap theory in Genesis chapter 1. There's no Bauhu and Tahu that destroys the world and sets us back somewhere. Sin enters through Adam in this world. And Satan was in Eden in his unfallen state. And he was envious because man was creating God's image and likeness. You and I are image bearers. Every race, every nation, every people, we are image bearers. Created in his image and likeness. And Satan saw that and he said, I'm going to be like the Most High. And it was his fall. First time another government, another kingdom was held up in contest with the kingdom of God. First time in eternity. He falls. And when he falls, he hates us. He hates humankind because we're image bearers. There's no affection. There's no care. The world of pain and of war and of hatred and of death and of disease that surrounds us are because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And he is the ultimate mass murderer, Satan. Jesus says to these guys, this is your origin. You, you want to kill me. I've come from heaven. I've been sent forth. I've proceeded from God. I'm telling you the truth. And my word is in finding a place. It found a place in Abraham. who was an idolater. And a Gentile. And you want to claim something from him now? Well, he didn't do what you're doing. He didn't plan to kill me. When I came to him, because he says in the end of the chapter, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. When he, when he comes to Abraham, Abraham cares for him, takes him into the tent. He said, you're, he said, you may be the seed of Abraham biologically, but you're not the children of Abraham spiritually. You and I are, by the way. We're going to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Family. Family. What a family reunion that will be. But he says, you're, you're involved in this. He said, he was a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, that's why you don't believe me. Because I'm speaking the truth and you're used to listening to the lie. Which of you convinceth me of sin, convicts me, can find something wrong? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Now look, we live in a world. This question can be out there. Which of you can accuse me of sin? Because the world hates Jesus. The world doesn't... The world doesn't like Jesus because they feel like there's a morality attached to Jesus, number one. And they're, trying, they're saying now that's wrong and their freedom is right. 
The world doesn't like Jesus because they want to they want to say that, you know, evolution is right and creation is wrong. That's because they'd rather be a little higher than the monkeys and a little lower than the angels. It's their choice. The world we're living in doesn't like the exclusivity of the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved, but they like their own exclusivities all of the time. And he says here, but who out there can convict me of sin? Who's going to say, what's my crime? I raised the dead. I healed the sick. I fed the hungry. I cared for the poor. I do everything that you think humanity should do. I did it. And yet you hate me. Isn't that the world we're living in? Isn't And so many of us, we have religious family and friends, and they say, well, my dad was this or that. My dad was this. And your, our family's been this for, you know. And, and, and it's like these Jews with Jesus. Yes, you're the seed of that, but you're not the children of what you profess. And then Jesus lays this out at the end. He says, he that is of God heareth God's words. He says, ye therefore hear them not, Ancestry.com, because you are not of God, ek in both places, out of. Um, interesting litmus test. Here's your Ancestry.com. If you are of the wrong family lineage, you reject the truth. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. You can accept the truth today, by the way. Because what he teaches us is even, you know, even the worst of sinners. Saul of Tarsus, the Antichrist of the book of Acts. The word finally finds entrance and his life is transformed. How many of the pastors here on staff were? Lunatics, mental institution, drug rehab centers. God changed our lives. How many of y'all would probably be in jail if you hadn't gotten saved? You know, the city should never collect wage tax from us because we've saved them so much money. Uh, you know, that the people that are here that aren't in drug rehabs and prison, you know, because they've been born again, you know. Uh, just, just think how many of us, are, our lives, you know, would be completely different. It isn't that God can't reach the lost. But he's saying here, if we're rejecting the truth, then our parentage, our ancestry is somewhere else. If we do not love God, he says, if you don't love me here, he says that, you're not of the proper origin. And look, we should love him because he first loved us. We should, the, the more time you spend with Jesus at the foot of the cross, and that will be the most important thing if you're in hospice someday and you're ready to take your last breath, is you and your wonderful Savior. His crucifixion, his resurrection, it will be everything. Do not love God. Some of you doesn't love, no, love God, doesn't know God. 
Are we involved with liars, deception, the manslayer? You know, you, it doesn't say a murderer can't be saved. Paul was. You know, my cousin was in Gaithersburg for murder one, 17 years old, killed his best friend, shot him with a rifle. And before he died, he ended up with a Christian family that took care of him. And I know he came to know the Lord. Doesn't say that the worst of us can't be saved, because here we are, right? But it says you can do this litmus test. Do you love God? Are you willing to hear his word? Do you rather listen to lies? Remember chapter 3, Jesus said, the reason men don't come to the light is because they love, they agape darkness. They love darkness more than light. They don't come to the light because they don't want their deeds to be brought out in the open. Litmus test. Here's another family origin. Do we love Jesus? Jesus said, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. Love Jesus. Now look, I love Jesus. But I love my wife, I love my kids, I love the people I work with. And sometimes I do something stupid and selfish. And I get angry. But it doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean if we love God, we never fail or never bungle things. or the, the, Just what's the driving force? What's the center? When we mess up, can we go to him and say, Lord, I, I blew it. I, I, I love you. I, I don't want to break your heart, but I'm so thankful I can come. Do we love God? Number one. Number two. Do we hear his word in the sense of, does it have, does it find an entrance into us? Does it find an entrance into us? Again, same thing. Our Christian experience is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You know, it says in 1 Thessalonians that it, it's, it's operation in our life is effectual. It says in Isaiah 55, it accomplishes what God sends it to do. We get to John 17, he's going to say, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Are we open to it? When we make a mistake, do we go to it and say, oh Lord, I know this is what your word said. This is what I need to do. We get up in the morning. Do you spend time in it? Do you get out of bed? Do you drag your bones, snap, crackle, and pop out of bed and open your Bible? Do you love his word? Do you spend time in it? Litmus test, Ancestry.com. Do you love his word? Does it have entrance into your life as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as an employer, as an employee, as an American, as a Philadelphian, whatever it might be? Good test for us. And then it says in verse 47, he that is of God heareth God's word. And that the phrase there to hear is, it's ETH, so you know it's a present tense. It's constantly hearing, but it's hearing to recognize and obey. It's hearing to then bring your life in line with what you're hearing and yield to it. Good lit litmus test for us. And look, do we do that perfectly? No, because John, who God's quill here, as he's writing, also says, you know, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, 
that we have fellowship in the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. You know, brethren, I write unto you that you don't sin, but if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. We got a lawyer. And when our lawyer walks up to the bench where the judge is, he says, Dad, this one's mine. This one's mine. Washed in my blood. Case closed. Right? Right? So these, the gloves are off here. These guys, you know, this kind of, if you were there listening to it, you can imagine when Jesus said, your father's the devil. Some of the people there went, <coughs> tried not to, you know, that felt that way about some of these religious leaders as well. But this has gotten down. They're grappling here. Not that he can lose, ask Jacob. Um, but interesting. Now, as we move next week, if the Lord tarries, I hope he doesn't, but if he does... And uh, we, this all kind of wraps up. Finally, they started with stones in the beginning of the chapter. They want to stone the woman taken in adultery. By the end of the chapter, they want to stone the Savior. They want to stone the Savior. So let's stand up. Let's pray. And look, if you're here and you've never come to Christ, uh, you have a decision to make. Are you going to let the Word of God find an entrance into your life? Or are you going to resist and resist and resist till you die physically, then die eternally? If you're willing to turn from your sin, repent, metanoia, change the mind, make a U-turn, you're going in the wrong direction. And give your life to the Lord. Give him your life, the steering wheel. And let him be your savior. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. You'll have eternity with him that you can never be worthy of, that you can never deserve, and you can never earn. He does it. It's him. It's Jesus. He's everything. He proceeded from heaven. He came. He was sent because the Father in heaven loves you and I. There isn't anyone here today that need go to hell. No one. There's no one in this room that needs to go to hell. We're not talking about church. We're not talking about Calvary Chapel. We're talking about Christianity. We're talking about Jesus. No one in this room needs to go to hell because today is the acceptable day of salvation. Today you can say, all right, Lord, here I am. Tired of trying to do it on my own. Tired of the emptiness. Tired of the guilt. I'm I'm a sinner. Need to be forgiven. I'm ready. And if that's you... As we sing this last song, we're going to let you come forward in front of everybody. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. I know the tenses. I know that's a lifelong deal. But it begins at a point. To many as receive him, to them he's given the authority to be the children of God. He does it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You're not worthy of it. When you get to heaven, nobody's going to be throwing crowns at you. All the crowns are going to be thrown at him because he's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's washed us and cleansed us and brought us to glory. If you don't have that yet, you need to get it. Not religion, a relationship, a reality with the risen Savior. Let's have the musicians come. We will 
pray. And as we sing this last song, if you know you need to be saved, you come. We'll, we'll, we'll love to give you a Bible, some literature to read. We don't want your email. We don't want your phone number. We don't want your address. We don't want nothing from you. We're not going to give you offering envelopes. We want everything for you and nothing from you. Because that's what God in heaven wants. Father, we put these things before you, Lord, this passion this passion that's in this place in John and the heat of it and the emotion of it. And Lord, you walking in human skin, being touched with our infirmities and feeling what we feel and, and being tempted yet without sin. And because of that, being able to be a, a, a high priest for us, touched with our infirmities. Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to us, each of us individually, and give us our own Ebenezer here. Give us our own portion, Lord. Something to carry with us, something that you say will bring 30, 60, 100 fold. And Lord, we pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, any man, woman, any child, Lord, that's only had religion and never relationship. You know, Lord what we're doing. We, we put that in front of you. Your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. So Lord Jesus, we trust you to do that divine work. Hear our praise now. Let it be a corporate prayer, Lord, when we sing these words to you. We trust you and we pray in your name. Amen. And if you know you need to be saved today, I want to change your ancestry. As we sing this last song, you come down tired of it. You're tired of the emptiness. If your friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. Let's worship the rest of us. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. And if he's drawing you today, you come. Look, the reason we sing this is because if you're here and you don't know Christ, you've surrendered to all kinds of things in your life, whether it be pornography or hatred or prejudice or drugs or alcohol or money, all cruel masters. And all done you no good. Are you willing to surrender to the master that matters? The one who stretched out his hands on a wooden cross and bled his life into the ground so you can live. Life has been a life of surrender for all of us. We sing this because God's Holy Spirit can tell you, I'm talking to you. You need to surrender to my love and to my forgiveness. You need to surrender to me and find rest for your soul. Not to religion, not to Calvary Chapel. To me. To me. Listen in your hearts. Don't listen to me. Are you listening? I told you not to.
Don't listen to me. Look, listen to your own heart. And the voice of God, Jesus said, no man, no woman come unless the Father draws them. It's not English. It's not Spanish. It's not Russian. It's not French. It's a language of the heart that every person and every nation all around the world can hear. So no one has excuse. But you're going to hear him say, surrender to me today, to my love. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what's on your sin resume. You didn't care about all of that because the ticket to heaven's already been purchased as your name on it. All you need is come and get it. Somebody else paid for it. Let's worship again. Please surrender to that if you're here and you don't know him today. You come. pray with you guys. Stay right here. Then we want to give you a Bible and and some literature. Anyone else? Look, there are children here in their 40s and their 50s that came through abusive things in this world and shut down their emotions for survival and are still children broken. There are people here that have considered suicide. There are people here struggling with sin, with hurt, with addiction. You can still come, you know. Maybe, hopefully, you were saying, Lord, if you're really there, let this guy ask one more time. Here it goes. You know, we're asking one more time. Don't walk out the door and say to yourself, I wish I'd have gone forward. Anyone else, please. And look, 
I can get this wrong. It's troubling to me to think that I wouldn't get it across and somebody walks out without turning to my Savior. If you never come, still you can come. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, let's pray together. I'll ask you guys. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. You just want it to be genuine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And I'm tired of trying to do it on my own, Lord. I'm running on fumes, Lord. I'm empty. And today I hear, Lord Jesus, that you love me. And I have no idea why you would ever do that. Lord, but in faith, I'm taking hold of that. Today I hear you died on a cross for me in my place. So I don't have to die. And I have no idea why you would do that for me, Lord. But I take hold of that, Lord, today in faith. So forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a new beginning, Lord. Let me jettison the past. Be my personal Lord and my personal Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Be my father, my friend, my king, my God. And I give you my life. And oh, Lord, I can hardly believe you want it, but I give you my life. Let me walk with you every day. Lord, let me know your presence. Teach me to love your word, Lord. And thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for heaven. And thank you for life beyond the grave. Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen.